Hey, Lauren, do you want to hear about a good deal? Well, yes, Mason, I would love to. Good, because I have a deal with your name on it. Tell me more! Well, in that case, GoDaddy.com is offering the best deals of a lifetime. For only $3.59 a month for a year, you can get GoDaddy.com's Economy Package. Amazing! What do I get with the Economy Package? You get 250 gigs of bandwidth, 5 gigs of storage, and up to 500 email accounts. You can get your website up and running. I can? Yeah. When you check out, enter code MUGGLE. That's M-U-G-G-L-E. And save 10% on any order. Can you spell that again? Yeah, I can. That's M-U-G-G-L-E. Wow. Do any restrictions apply? Some restrictions apply. See site for details. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy.com. Today's MuggleNet podcast is brought to you by Borders. In May, thousands of Harry Potter fans descended upon New Orleans for the Phoenix Rising Conference. Borders was there to take in the sights and share a lively discussion of the series that has bewitched the world with some of Harry's most dedicated fans. Listen in to watch the action yourself. Check out the Phoenix Rising Borders book club discussion at bordersmedia.com slash harrypotter or click on the Borders banner at the top of the MuggleNet page. Somebody still hasn't seen Order of the Phoenix. This is MuggleCast, episode 114, for September 24th, 2007. MuggleCast episode 114. We've got a great show lined up for you today. Excellent news, excellent theories, excellent rebuttals, and a great main discussion. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Laura Thompson. I'm Jamie Lawrence. And I'm Mike Catanapel. First of all, we go over to Micah for this week's top Harry Potter news stories. Micah. Okay, thanks, Jamie. Emma Watson, the actress who plays Hermione Granger, has updated the blog on her official site informing fans that she finished filming ballet shoot. She says, I am really nervous to see the results, but mostly very, very excited. It has been confirmed by Warner Brothers that the fifth Harry Potter movie DVD will be released in Britain on November 12th and in the U.S. on December 11th. Some quick facts. The single disc, both full screen and widescreen, will be priced at $28.98. The dual disc at $34.99 and the HD and Blu-ray disc at $35.99. The dual disc set will include a sneak peek at Half-Blood Prince. Additional 17 minutes of Order of the Phoenix footage will be included on all the DVDs and there will be a limited edition gift set to include more than three hours of all new content from the past Harry Potter films. From Order of the Phoenix to Half-Blood Prince, Jim Broadbent has confirmed that he will be playing the role of Professor Horace Slughorn. Broadbent described his new role in an interview with Dark Horizon, saying he's a retired teacher of magic who's drawn back out of retirement 
because he's got some secrets they need in the battle against the Death Eaters, and he's quite starstruck as a teacher, and he's drawn back into the fold because he likes to notch up celebrity students, and he's drawn back by Harry. Broadbent would be recognizable to most Harry Potter fans for his role as Professor Kirk in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Today, the MTV News blog had an online interview with Harry Potter actor Dan Radcliffe, who gave MTV the scoop on filming the cave and in Fury scenes. He said, I'm really looking forward to filming the cave and all the stuff in there with the lake and the Fury. Radcliffe enthused, me and Michael Gambon in a rowboat for a few days. It's going to be amazing. Dan also reveals that the cave will be filmed on a real set rather than being inserted digitally. In a new audio interview that will leave diehard fans very happy, Half-Blood Prince director David Yates talks about how he understands the fans' connection with each film. With that in mind, he says he's going to make Half-Blood Prince a very character-driven film with a coming-of-age story, thanks in part to screenwriter Steve Clovis's fun draft. Filming began for Half-Blood Prince on September 17th, and the Six Potter film is due out November 18th, 2008. New York, New Orleans, and Los Angeles were not enough. J.K. Rowling will make an appearance on the morning of October 23rd at the Winter Garden Theater in downtown Toronto. It's an all-ages event hosted by Toronto's International Festival of Authors and Rowling's Canadian publisher, Vancouver-based Rinko's Books. Miss Rowling will read from the Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows, entertain questions from fans, and autograph complimentary copies of the book. Until September the 27th, Canadian fans can visit Raincoast website and enter for the drawing that awards 10 pairs of tickets every day. Tickets are also being given out through Canadian libraries and the country's 79 public and Catholic school boards. That's all the news for this September 24th, 2007 edition of MuggleCast. Back to the show. All right, thank you, Micah. Thanks. How is everyone Whoa. today? Whoa! What was that whoa for? Um, yeah, wow, um... I'm doing well. How are you guys? Andrew, uh, you sound a little funny. Well, you know, it's uh, I've got a bit of a cold, and uh, my audio is a bit messed up, but uh, everything's good. Oh, that's really great, Andrew. I'm really glad that uh, your audio is messed up. Excellent. Micah, how are you? I'm doing great. Good. Now, we have some bad news. Andrew, unfortunately, has to leave now to go and do some stuff. He's moved on to pastures new, so he can't be with us today. Uh, how's everyone feel about that? Sad? Very, very sad, I know. Eh, whatever. Go right. away, Andrew. Yeah, Andrew, go away. Wow, abandoned Laura, us, abandoned, us, abandoned us all the way. But we're going we're gonna to start off with a bit of news discussion to hopefully clear the air after Andrew leaving. So, Emma, as Mike has just told us, has just finished filming Ballet Shoes. Laura, you're the re- resident personal expert in Ballet <laughs> Shoes, so could you think you'd give us a few facts about it? Uh, if you could call it that. <laughs> um, I know that... I can't say that I know a whole lot about it but i know it's based on a book i believe um and we were talking about how if i get this wrong like 500 of you are going to email so um but it's based on a book and i'm pretty (laughs) sure it's a (laughs) bbc production um and as far as i know apparently she dyed her hair blonde for it that's what i read on her site now is she a natural blonde because i could have sworn i I heard a few years ago that emma watson's a natural blonde is that completely wrong i don't I mean? S Ben. I, I I hate to turn this into like a girly show scrutinizing people's hair color, but no, I fine. mean, <laughs> judging just judging from like I don't know. I wouldn't say that it's natural, but uh, I don't know. How can sure. you tell? How how can you tell? Because I'm a girl and I dye my hair and I can just tell. But like uh, you can you can see roots and stuff. Really? Yeah, but but surely if it's done for the uh, for the movies, then it could be that they've. Ch- just changed a few things for that, but it isn't actually dyed. 
or uh, I mean, could, I mean, I don't know personally. I've never asked Emma if she dyes her hair. Well, Laura, but you, you need to come here more have. prepared. I mean, come on now. I should have. I I should have just gone up to her in LA and been like, "Hey, do you dye your hair? Yes, we really you need to done. know. It's a pressing that, question." That was a poor effort on your behalf. But what do you guys think about Emma branching out after Harry Potter? I think it's really good for her because. I mean, I don't really know what kind of role she's playing in ballet shoes, but if you consider the role that she's playing as Hermione, it's something that you could become slightly typecast as, you know, the know-it-all, you know, the only girl, that type of thing. Yeah. So I I think it's good. I know that she's playing an orphan in ballet shoes, so I'm assuming that she's going to be with a a lot of other girls. Okay, but she's not the orphan, Micah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, fair point. Dan's doing it as well in. the December Boys. Doesn't so it, he play an orphan there as well? He does, yeah. So <laughs> it's the in thing at the moment, I guess. But yeah, uh, really. I think it's good she's branching out as well. It would be so easy for her, Rupert, and Dan to be typecast as Harry mm-hmm. Potter people forever. And I mean, we can't tell now if they're going to be or not, but it's good that they're starting doing new things, I think, anyway. Yeah, I agree. Micah, what about the Order of the Phoenix DVD? The Order of the Phoenix DVD comes out on November the 12th over there in uh, England. So are you going to be online waiting for it, Jamie? Uh, No, because it doesn't normally come to my computer. (laughs) I'll be waiting by the door for it, though, maybe. Oh. Okay. But uh, are you going to ship a copy over to me since uh, I have not seen Order of the Phoenix yet? You haven't seen it? You what? (laughs) No. What's wrong with you? Call yourself a Harry Potter fan, Mike. Get out now. Let's get Andrew back, Laura. No, wait, wait, wait a second. How have you not seen Order of the Phoenix? I haven't seen Order of the Are Phoenix. Are you kidding? Is this a big you joke? D- you didn't go to your local <laughs> no, movie theater to see it? Oh my god, you are such a slacker. Where is Andrew? Come on, get out, Micah. Micah, that is that is just... I think we should stop the show, this show, this week, in like a moment of just desperation at the fact that you have not seen Movie 5. How, how long has it been now? It's been out since July. Micah, what do you have to say? Not much. <laughs> Send me the DVD when it comes but out. Doesn't it come out there as well? How many days afterwards does it come out there? Uh, about a month. It comes month. out on December 11th. Really? That is pretty poor. Yeah. I'm not yeah. too excited about the DVD, though. I like watching it, obviously, but the special features have n- never, ever done it for me. Yeah, we we kind of talked about this last week, too. We did, yeah. Just about how the special features are always kind of kiddish, and they're not really geared towards adults, really. They're not not even towards 12-year-olds, I would say. They're really yeah. geared towards much younger children. Well, the scenes are uh, are always good, the deleted mm-hmm. scenes, uh, and like some interviews, but I've just always found them a bit boring, uh, personally. Yeah, some I personally like watching the interviews of the you know the directors and the producers and everything more so than the cast because it seems like the cast always says the same thing over and over like everybody's changing yeah. and the movies my, are getting darker yeah. and, oh, blah, I know. Blah, blah. and my character i think my character has grown and developed a lot in this film obviously she's had to uh she's had to see completely different things happen to her friend she's had to move along in the you know maturity levels but i think it's really helped her is it is the same every time, isn't it? Yeah, You've got it to really say is. that. I, I mean, not that I'm putting them down for saying that, because there's really not much else I that am. you can say. Like, there comes a point where they just keep asking the same question over and well, over. Yeah, and it is you true. You kind of come up with a generic response, so I don't hold them at fault for that at all. But I found that's always a sort of a side effect of having people interview Harry Potter actors who are just like, 
the mainstream media. So people who aren't Harry Potter related who don't know the films well enough to ask specific questions so they have to ask you know movie questions like how do you think your characters developed from the first film to this or Mm -hmm. what's the most important thing you've done to prepare yourself for this role you know stuff that isn't specific to harry potter um yeah but that's just me um a piece of very very exciting news well for me personally anyway and i hope for everyone else jim broadbent has just been cast as horace slughorn uh now i know jim broadbent jim broadband <laughs> that's an interesting thing jim broadband uh he is personally an extremely fast internet connection if you're ever lost and you've got your laptop and you see jim broadband if you just plug it into like his leg or something you will get download speeds that you have never experienced before we should but uh send him to kevin. try that yes we should we should uh kevin's audio for, uh, for anyone wondering why he isn't on the show was terrible. Or like the past 50 shows. Yeah, over the last 50 <laughs> shows. His audio is terrible. What happens is you'll speak to him and he'll say something, but instead of just hearing it once, you'll hear it over and over again like a rapper. Uh, I think we found the secret to every single rapper's success. They just use Kevin's audio and then it sounds amazing, but not too good for a Harry Potter podcast. So that's why Kevin no. is not. Uh, Jim Broad Bent, finally got it right. Uh, if anyone has ever seen Only Fools and Horses, there was an episode uh, where Del Boy... Uh, has an arch rival called Slater, Inspector Slater. He's he's a police chief, and Jim Broadbent plays him in that, and he's absolutely awesome. Um, other roles he has done are Hot Fuzz, very, very funny, Chronicles of Narnia, um, Bridget Jones, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, not out yet, still filming. Um, what else has he done? Vanity Fair, Around the World in 80 Days, Nicholas Nickleby. He's obviously a pretty... You know, seasoned actor. Seasoned actor. You know exactly. And I mean, I've spoken to a few people, and they seem extremely excited. What do you guys think? He looks the part, definitely. Yeah, I think he does. I I can't say that I know too much about him as an actor. Like, I mean, I've seen Narnia, obviously, but I I can't say that I've really seen any of the other movies you mentioned. Yeah. Um, but just from the previous history of the adult actors cast in these films i can't say that they've ever picked somebody who was they, not they perfect ever i mean all of the umbridge hagrid michael mcgonagall michael gambin is awesome micah he is yes he is get out well of course but, micah wouldn't know would he considering he hasn't oh, even yeah, seen the film you haven't seen it the fifth movie, Micah. <laughs> I've know. seen the other ones. He's Micah, been in. Micah, quick quiz. How many books are there in the Harry Potter series? Do you know? or uh... Have you missed the uh, last one? Seven, maybe? I don't good know. guess. Good guess, Micah. Very good guess. Good, good guess. Excellent. Um, but yeah, I think he's going to be absolutely awesome. And Because he's a very complicated character, Slughorn, and I think it's going to take someone. I'd be surprised if Broadbent doesn't read the books before he plays the role, because it is a, it is a kind of role that, you know... You need you backstory need to, to the develop books. the character. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I kind of wonder how much they're going to develop him. You know, are, are they really going to go into him? You know, running from the Death Eaters or hiding from them? Are they? I just wonder how much backstory we're going to get on that. I agree. It's yeah. going to be I mean, interesting to see how he does. Although I think a well, lot I mean, of what they leave in the seventh film now is going to be based on how the series came out. Like, for instance, they're kind of. They've kind of screwed themselves now because they left Lily out of the entire um, Snape's worst memory scene in Order of the Phoenix, and then it actually has a huge significance, so I think that they'd better pay a lot more attention now. I hope they do. I hope they do. Um, Something very, very exciting. Half-Blood Prince filming has begun. Both excited about that? Of course. Isn't that supposed to be November of 2008? Yeah, that is quite a long time. Is that normal for... 
Harry Potter films? How long is the... Yeah, uh, it is because they switch off. Like one will come out in the summer and then the other one will come out in fall of the following year. Uh, oh, yeah, of course they do. Yeah. Um, it is a long time though, but it's a long book as well. So yeah. I wonder how much they're going to take out and how much they're going to leave in. I don't, it's such a complicated book. You know, I think about book six and seven. It's book seven particularly that bo- that I'm worried about with all the information we get. But books, book six, I really wonder how much of like the Harry and Dumbledore dynamic they're actually going to focus on. Yeah. Because that's so important. And if they don't give it enough attention, it's not going to work. Exactly. And books, so, sorry, movie seven is then going to not have the backstory to back up Harry's, you know, anger at Dumbledore and, you know, yeah. uh, his anger at Snape and all that. So I agree with you. Book six is like a springboard for book seven. And if they don't mm-hmm. do it properly, it's worrying. Well, do you yeah. guys think at all that they could start taking elements of book seven and start putting it in movie six just so they don't have to condense a huge go all out in uh, movie seven if they can work it but that's pretty risky i mean if they do that badly then and things that don't match like what do you what do you mean by elements like actual happenings or just little tidbits like facts and stuff that we find out in book seven that would make more sense yeah sort of starting to drop facts and things like that not taking actual events that took place uh in book seven but maybe start giving us more information in, like about uh, horcruxes yeah maybe but i mean they've set that up kind of with you know Voldemort and his um actually was that line in the movies when he's like i've gone further along the path of immortality than any other person or was that not in the oh, movies? oh gosh i don't think it was I guess they have I'm just set up just them. thinking about it. I don't oh my gosh. Yeah, see the thing is when I remember when I first read book 6, a lot of people were complaining about how like horcruxes weren't set up. They they were just going on about how they weren't and it's like you go back through the books and they actually were. Yeah. It was just so subtle. She just did it, it so done, perfectly. Yeah. Oh my god. But but then, I don't know how they're going to do that in the movies. It's going to kind of it seems like they're going to kind of come out of nowhere. It's going to be well, kind of like Movie 2 kind of did it with the uh when Harry stabbed the the uh, diary, it looked like Riddle was, you know, a part of him was dying, kind of. Yeah. Or perhaps we can just say that now because we know what it was about. But yeah. um, it looks like that now with hindsight. I don't know if, uh, yeah. if it she really is She just did like that, that so well because when you're reading that book at the time, you think that he's just destroying, like... You don't think of it as a part of Riddle. You think that he's just destroying like something that he's using to infiltrate Hogwarts, you know? Precisely, like, yeah. You, you don't think of it as like an extension of his soul, which is really awesome. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wait. I just get excited thinking about it. I've just completely contradicted myself. I think I just said that, yes, you do see it as an extension of the soul. Then I've just agreed with you. Um, I don't know. I don't know, but, but because when you watch it, it looks like he is dying. You know, he comes out and he screams, and and it looks like a part of him is dying. I don't know if if we didn't know about Horcruxes, perhaps we just think that it's because you know it's a memory and the memory is dying. But yeah, see, that's what she excused it as in the yeah. book. Like he he just called him what was and Riddle even called himself a memory. He did, yeah, yeah. So, oh my gosh, it's so cool. But it, how can you plan seven books out like that? Oh my god, she's amazing. That's it how is pretty she does impressive. it. Oh my god. It is very, very impressive. Okay, let's move on to some announcements. First of all, thank you to everyone who tuned in for the live show. It was an experiment, a huge experiment. We think it went pretty well with a few minor slip-ups. The audio dropped a bit. 
Um, and a few people have been complaining that our voices sound like chipmunks on the released one. Have you guys heard that? Because I haven't checked it yet. I, I haven't heard it yet, but apparently I sound hilarious from really? what I've heard. Yeah, apparently, apparently you guys all sound like, I don't know, maybe you're like alto chipmunks oh, and apparently right. i'm like i'm like a second soprano chipmunk oh, really so yeah that's what i've heard so we should do it. it should be interesting to listen to i'm well i'm gonna have to listen to that that, that actually sounds exciting not an excuse yeah. to complain <laughs> um we have a piece of feedback uh from they didn't leave their name but it's about the live show they say okay i know i've been emailing a lot of feedback lately lately but i really have to tell you how happy i am that you released the rest of the live podcast and how amazed i am at the quality of everything apart from the chipmunk voices i'm sure it's moving at the perfect pace the sound quality is great even though your voices are a little higher than usual and your choice of conversation is just again perfect this is like christmas or something and this is where i think this person might just come from new jersey because they say go andrew you have been brilliant thus far and i freaking love you i've listened to mc since you released the first episode and i am really very impressed right now i love this and i love you guys well done jesse so that's very uh, nice. Thanks, Mrs. Sims, for sending yes, that in. thank you very much. Yeah. It's extremely <laughs> kind of you to send in your feedback. Um, second piece we have is from Cindy Patton, age 30-something from Columbus. She says, I was real excited to find out that you did a 12-hour show. I like to listen while I work. But when I downloaded the show, I ended up listening to 12 hours of not much to do with Harry Potter. It was all about the life and times of the show hosts i usually love you guys and if you want to spend hours upon hours talking about yourself that's fine but maybe it should be on a different podcast uh, i would have to agree with that it did completely lapse into that but after a few hours there wasn't much else we could talk about without uh sort of collapsing you know yeah it it's really a hard thing to kind of it's a hard thing to do when you want to do a show that long because there are people like Cindy who want to hear about Harry Potter. And then there are other listeners who would rather hear about some other some things. Stories, they don't want to, yeah, yeah, they don't want to be bombarded by Harry Potter for 12 hours. So we kind of try to find a happy medium where we discuss Harry Potter for a while. And then we discuss other things for a while, whether they be things from our personal lives or stories. We just let people or, call in. Yeah. And, yeah. So perhaps we got it slightly wrong this time, but hopefully when we do two or three hour shows, it's going to improve a lot more. I think 12 perhaps was quite a, a sort of, you know, start to do for our first big live show. Yeah. But um, Cindy, all I can say is uh, you say it was about the life and times of the show hosts, but thankfully it wasn't about the life and lies of the show hosts. Right, Laura? This is true. This is very true. Micah, what do you think about that? I missed what you said there. You, Not... you mean you weren't listening? No, no. I, I couldn't understand what you said this second half of it. <laughs> it wasn't about... <laughs> it said that uh, she said... it. It was about the life and times of the show hosts, but thankfully it wasn't about the life and lies, because we don't like NC-17 podcasts, do we, Micah? Oh. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Andrew has just ordered some new equipment to help make the show better. It's extremely exciting. He's absolutely pumped about it. I don't know much about audio equipment, uh, but it involves something called a mixer, uh, some microphones, and he's extremely excited. He's trying to turn his bedroom into like a studio type setting. And this is going to help a lot on live shows because many of the problems we experienced on that live show were due to trying to pump too much information through Skype, too much through Ustream, and not using appropriate equipment. But hopefully this is going to solve a lot of things because we'll be able to play music more effectively, take calls more effectively, and all that kind of stuff. I'm extremely excited about that. 
Yeah, it's going to be pretty awesome. I still long for the day when we all get our studio and we all live close by and we can all fly oh, into it. And We were know. actually talking about that the other day, how cool it would be if like one day we just like a he- had a headquarters. Oh, that'd be so and- cool. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. I can't talk about that. I'll get excited. But anyway. I was going to say, let's take a moment to dream about that quickly because yeah. it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pickle Pack is open for one more week. It's been open for a week already. And after this, it uh, will close permanently until uh, the end of this year when everyone's subscription runs out. Um, for everyone wondering what you get if you sign up now, because obviously it's been quite a while since the science since the first sign up date you get all of the blickles all of the bonus content since then until now and you get everything else until the uh, end date the only thing you don't get is a badge on your your profile which says original pickle which we devised to, so uh, everyone who signed up before got something on their profile and you also don't get a t-shirt but you get all the bonus stuff uh, only one more week to go uh, and, so... and you're not paying thirty dollars this time, if you register, you're paying 25 Is that right? Yes, Laura, you're absolutely right. 25 because you don't get a T-shirt. We have reduced the price slightly. So you have one more week to go. Please sign up. It's very, very, very enjoyable. Yeah, and, and for those of you who don't know, maybe we should explain what Blickles are really quick. Uh, that's the point, yeah, yeah. People probably won't know. Blickles are... Um, we have on Pickle Pack seven different segments for each of the show hosts. And one, each show host has one day per week where they post their Blickle. And now a Blickle is a word that has been created out of a combination of the word Pickle and, what was the other one, Blog. A Blickle. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, a video blog or a writing blog every week from the show host, which says about what's happening in their lives, Harry Potter news, discussion, normal news, uh what has there been? There's been uh, lip-syncing songs, room tours, tours of I the places where I played Guitar Hero. Laura yeah, played it's... Guitar Hero. Andrew and his uh, little brother modeled the Pickle Pack t-shirt. So there's been, there's been a whole host of stuff. Um, and there are about 150 bits of uh, bonus content, I think, on there now. So if you sign up now, you have... Uh, quite a bit of stuff to get through with all the new stuff being released as well we have a new piece every single day so one more week to go we hope you get to sign up if you want to mm-hmm. Absolutely. um ringtones now this is andrew's baby but let's say a bit, bit about ringtones we have a website now where you can get wizard rock singles on your phone uh you can get what else can you get you can get other bits of music from the show and we hope soon to have the main theme tune on ringtone um we'll put a link in the show notes so you can download those um and get them on your phone and then if your phone rings in a place where there are Mugglecast fans uh somebody will say oh wow i know that do you listen to Mugglecast? Yeah, I do. And then you make new friends through shared interests, which is always good, isn't it, Laura? Absolutely. I mean, who wouldn't want their phone to ring and Andrew's voice to <laughs> Precisely. I, I can't think of a single person in this world. I mean, personally, I'd love it, wouldn't you? Oh, I would too. I'm going to buy one right after we record. <laughs> buy one after you record it. I've already got 10, Laura. Come on now. Catch up. Oh, my God. I won't ask Fail. Micah because... Uh, he hasn't even seen the, the fifth film, so how could he have a ringtone? Harry Potter ringtone. Um, we go to some rebuttals now. Well, come on. It's not like I don't know what happens. Yeah, well... Uh, no, you, you don't. You, That's the problem. You do talk about it every week. I did read the book. Oh, well done. Your medal's in the post. 
as we speak. Okay, now we go to some rebuttals, but we're thinking of calling them a different name because uh, they aren't all rebuttals. They used to be, but now they're just, you know, bits of uh, mail stuff that people want to talk about. So we're thinking of renaming them Muggle Mail. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, that sounds fine to me. Muggle Mail. Yeah. It's a cool name. Or, or we could call them Micah Hasn't Seen the Fifth Film Mail. <laughs> Okay. I think we should. I think we should change the name of this show to Micah hasn't seen the fifth film cast. I agree. I agree. And get the word out, Micah. You should go and see it now before we put the show out. So you, you can. You uh, better see so it uh, by the time we record next. Gonna- or or you're in big trouble. Very big trouble. We're in deep water. Very very deep water. Uh, okay, our first piece of Muggle Mail comes from Emily20 from Reading, Pennsylvania. Hi, MuggleCast. I'm not sure if you've already discussed this, but I'm having problems coming to terms with one particular death in Deathly Hallows. Why do you think Fred died? I've heard several theories, mostly that his death was simply a byproduct of the Weasley family being so large. Uh, the idea that there is that there is that the family couldn't escape some kind of death. But as this theory doesn't make much sense to me... Look at the number of times they've been hurt and or almost died. I really, really would like to hear your thoughts. Thanks a bunch. This is a great program. Good luck this semester. Emily. Laura? I think that it's exactly what you just said. I mean, the Weasley family is enormous, and Molly said so herself in the fifth book that it would be a miracle if they all got out of it alive. The chances of them all getting out without dying would be between slim and none. I mean... It's just such a huge family. You're bound to have some kind of casualty, especially if you're all fighting. Yeah, exactly. And also more than that, it's, you know, Fred and George just seem like that pair that would not be split up, you know, and the humorous side, to me, sort of showed that, you know, humor can sort of, when you laugh, you forget the bad stuff that's happening in the the world, which is kind of true, but then his death shows that this war was a serious, serious war. And, you know, even people who are so close, powerful, you know, confident people can also be, you know, they can also be torn apart, not in the literal sense, but in the, uh, you know, their sort of affinity can be torn apart. Um, But also, yeah, that their family was so big that somebody had to go. (laughs) That sounds mean, but I I think it is true. It's really sad... Go ahead, Micah. Oh, sorry, go on. No, go ahead, Laura. Then Micah, you I was just going to say, it's it's really sad because there was one point, I think in, it was Half-Blood Prince where they had the You Know Poo sign up yeah. in their window and Mrs. Weasley was like, they'll be murdered in their beds or something like that. Yeah. And then Fred dies and I was just like, no. So sad. <laughs> I agree. It is sad. And it was an incredibly sad death. And to some people, quite a few people, completely unnecessary. But it, you know, it's, there were obviously more deaths that happened in this war that we just didn't see, you know. And yeah. and people think that if Joe doesn't write about deaths, then they don't happen. Well, I, you know, I kind of used to think that, then I realized. But there are other people dying who aren't significant enough to be written about. But there have to be main characters that die, or it just completely loses its credibility, if that mm-hmm. kind of makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Micah? I think in one of the previous episodes, I said that I thought one of the, or I actually thought both of them were going to die, um, based off of that whole uh, um, mention of Molly's brothers dying in the previous war and them having similar initials. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but and I was actually trying to look in J.K. Rowling's chat that she did on the web after. Uh, the book came out, but I couldn't find anything related to Fred's death and why she killed him. I just, I don't know. I think after what happened in 
the second chapter where they're being chased and uh, George has his ear sliced off. Yeah. I I just got the feeling that one of them was going to go because you have all these near-death experiences for their family so far. You go back to what happened in Order of the Phoenix with Arthur and then you know George in the yeah. beginning of Deathly Hollows, Ginny in Chamber of Secrets, and uh, Ron has a couple of close calls um, in Deathly Hollows as well. It's just it made sense that one of them was going to go. And I mean, even J.K. Rowling was talking about back in. Uh, how was it Arthur that she spared in Order of the Phoenix? Yeah. He was supposed to die and yeah. he ended up not dying. So, I, I mean, un- unfortunately, one of them had to go. Had know, to go. And it just unfortunately happened to be Fred. But it is an extremely sad death and it hurt quite a few people. Um, I yeah, found. myself included. <laughs> really? Aww. Well, yeah, you remember me. Like, It was like probably the last 75 pages of the book. I was just in tears the whole time. I was like, no, oh my god, why? And then, <laughs> Should have been and, then and, and Andrew just sat there and laughed at me the whole time. I remember that. That was incredibly yeah. funny. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> you guys are mean. I don't like you. No, no but Laura, it was... It wasn't that it was, you know, funny that you were crying. It was how you were doing it, which was just What genius. do you mean how I was well, doing it? You'd read a page, um, curse pretty badly, burst into tears, <laughs> recover, read a page, curse even worse, um, burst into tears. Exactly. So it, it was like a re- repetitive cycle with uh, with sort of recoveries in between. And Andrew sort of was making it funnier by going, oh, oh, you, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it was... But I tried to act it's professional true. and be like, you know, well, it it's an emotional time, Andrew. You've got to, you know. <laughs> Were you okay yeah. through Dobby, though? Huh? Yeah, I actually didn't cry when Dobby died. It was really sad, but I didn't cry. Aww. Like, at, at that point, I was just like, I don't know. It was probably like three in the morning or something. And I don't know. We were all really tired when we were reading. Because he's a house elf, he doesn't matter as much. Is that what you're saying? No, it was it was almost <laughs> too sad for tears. It was like, oh, good save, Laura. Good save. <laughs> too sad for tears. Ah, oh, how many times have I heard that one? I, I think I'm just hard as rock, you know. To be honest, but I only cried for serious. Oh, really? Oh, wait. Oh, I. Okay. Well, that's different when the when book seven <laughs> came out. That is a completely different circumstance. But only for. I mean. You made me cry. That was the worst sorry, part. Like, sorry. I was perfectly fine, and then all of a sudden, Jamie comes over and he hugs me. He's like, "Laura, this has been our lives," and I, <laughs> <laughs> and then I just lost it. Oh, I know that was, that. but serious to me was just he. He's probably my favorite literary, literary, literary. Can't say it now. Character of all time. He's just so, and the stuff he he was so flawed, but so sort of nice. Uh, at the same time, and I think I might just go and cry now for a bit, and then come back and Aww. restart the show. Um, now, okay, following the show schedule that we uh, type up every week, um, we're up to number six in it, and that is Harry Potter Vibrating Broom. I know nothing about Eesh. this. Um, me neither. I think neither. it could be a bit risky to talk about this <laughs> if I know nothing about it. Laura, do you do you know anything about it, or does Micah, do you know anything um, about it? I don't know anything about no. it, and considering... Okay. I suggest yeah. we skip this. And we leave it for Andrew next week, which brings. I think us... it was a tactic by Andrew huh? to throw it in I there think it could be. to just make us say something completely inappropriate on the show, and yeah, 
That probably see if well, we actually that did goes it. to show what he knows because we don't have bad minds on this show. At least no. the three of us don't. We're not. We're not perverted. No, we're not at all. At all. Which brings us nicely onto our main discussion, which is book one and seven parallels. Laura, do you want to introduce? Yeah. Us? Um. So, as a lot of people, or maybe you don't remember, but um. Pretty much ever since we started the show, I've been going on about how I think that the series is somewhat symmetrical. Like, books one and seven have a lot in common, two and six, three and five, and then book four is the centerpiece. And so I really felt while I was reading um, Deathly Hallows that I noticed a lot of things that it did have in common with book one. Um, Now, to start us off with some little things... Um, you'll notice that chapter one in Sorcerer's Stone doesn't start with from Harry's point of view, but it starts from the Dursleys, yeah. and uh, they don't like him. And chapter one of Deathly Hallows also starts in Snape and Yaxley. Is it Yaxley or Yaxley? I never knew Yaxley. how to say his name. Yaxley. It starts in their point of view, and they don't <laughs> necessarily like him either. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of interesting. That is interesting. I I really, really enjoyed the chapters that aren't from Harry's point of view, and also oh, in book six, the uh, other minister. Away yeah. from the from the you know circular nature of them, they were just awesome the way they were written. Yeah, I I love seeing things from like you said, you know, things that aren't in Harry's point of view because you really get, I think, a more rounded view of what yeah. of the kind of world that Joe's trying to create here. Exactly. Because in Harry's point of view, you kind of always see things through, and not to be funny here, but through his lenses, like <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> that he, he's kind of like he's the he's the kid who has had. Who, he's the hero who's had everything pushed off on him. He never wanted yeah. to do this. The only reason he's so important is because he was forced to be. And it's interesting to see the point of views of people who don't necessarily have that responsibility exactly. thrust and upon also, them. And also, his his narration is not objective, even nearly. He's a flawed mm-hmm. character, which isn't a bad thing, but obviously he's a flawed character, which means we don't get completely objective views of the world. Um and it, I mean, I would love, love to read the books from Snape's point of view or from Voldemort's oh point of view. Yes. You know, just to, because Harry, it's it's nice, but sometimes you, you get angry at the way he looks at things because he doesn't look, he doesn't look at things perfectly the, the, the entire time or objectively and he rushes into things. Whereas I think Snape, you know, to view it from an inquiring mind such as Snape's or a sort of, or an unemotional mind such as Voldemort's would be fascinating. Mm-hmm. Especially Snape's, like that's what I loved about seeing all of his memories at the end of the Deathly Hallows. Yeah, where we saw, especially the whole scene where Dumbledore sort of implied that Snape cared about Harry, yeah. and Snape was like about him, and he cast the Patronus, and it was the doe, and it was it made Dumbledore cry, and I was just, oh my god, that was so good. That was, that was an amazing scene. Yeah, Micah, what do you think? I like the comparison between the Dursleys and Snape and Yaxley. Are you trying to say that they're also? Uh dysfunctional family lore maybe actually no um what i was trying to say was that it's from the point of view of two two people or two sets of people who, no, no, who don't like harry um the distinction that i was trying to make there was that we have seen other chapters that don't take place in harry's point of view but the comparison that i drew was it was that you know like the minister doesn't necessarily not like harry so yeah. that was the distinction i was trying right. to draw um, sort of, sorry. No, no, go on. Oh, I was going to say sort of moving on. Um, if you look at the chapter titles in chapter one of Sorcerer's Stone, um, it refers to Harry in the title, Boy Who Lived, and then chapter one of Deathly Hallows refers to Voldemort, the Dark Lord Ascending. Yes. I See, thought that was pretty cool. That is interesting. And I thought 
again, that was an awesome chapter because it the the tone was just completely different because it had a completely different focal point. Harry just even though he can be you know angry and angsty, creates sort of like a light, untense sort of feeling in with everyone. But Voldemort, I mean, I felt nervous when I was reading that mm-hmm. chapter. So I don't know how his Death Eaters felt being around him, knowing that they could be instants from you know from death and and it's a completely different scenario because in like our world your mind is is um is is free you can think whatever you like and you know and thoughts can't incriminate you because they can't be read but when you have an evil psychopath in front of you who can look into your mind literally and even though snape says it's not mind reading to all intents and purposes it seems pretty like it to me perhaps i'm an as unenlightened Mm -hmm. as harry potter but you know if you think things which he can use against you and use to justify killing you or hurting you you're gonna be pretty nervous the entire time yeah yeah i like that because just like what you were just saying with um you get a feeling for what it's really like to be in his presence even somebody who's as you know a big of a suck up as bellatrix he turns on her and and talks about uh how her family has with uh, can't put it the right way, but I, I don't want to use the word betrayed, but has just not been pure with Tonks and everything like that. Yeah. That that scene in particular where she starts to talk about, you know, Tonks's marriage to Lupin and, and things like that. Yeah, and that's... You get a feeling for just how nasty of an individual he is. And that's somewhat interesting that you bring up the idea, you know, of in the first chapter of Deathly Hallows, everybody talking about, you know, um, the impurity, or so they believe, of certain family members to be marrying people who aren't purebloods. You know, you look at Petunia, the second Vernon brings up, you know, that her sister is married to a wizard or that she's a witch, Petunia doesn't want to talk about it. You know, she kind of shuns the idea. She doesn't want to believe that they're related. So I I think that's an interesting correlation. Like, see, and I thought that that was the biggest contradiction in the world because, or she was just, she wanted to be a witch though. That's the funny thing about it. She didn't want to have anything to do with it when it, when she was around Vernon, but in the end she wanted to be at Hogwarts. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. Laura, your point about that both end at King's Cross, I thought was excellent because King's Cross is extremely symbolic as sort of the place where you leave one world and go on to the other. You, you know, the muggle world, the magical world. It's also a symbol of safety because, you know, all of the wizards there and that kind of thing. Um, and also that it's sort of, it is circular, as you say. It starts in one place and ends in the other, other place. And Harry is happy in both places. Also, it's because the people in both places are starting a new journey. So in the first book, it's Harry and his friends. And in the seventh book, it's Harry's, you know, children and his friends' children. So it'll be very interesting to see how their experience at Hogwarts pan out because Harry's and his friends' experiences were were sort of experienced under a completely different sun than his children will be. There was a dark shadow over them with, with Voldemort. And even though everyone thought Voldemort was in hiding, uh, perhaps a hiding threat is a lot worse than one which you can see in the open so you know their time at Hogwarts was to all intents and purposes sort of on a downer kind of because they had the shadow whereas his children have more of a free life and that kind of thing. Micah? Yeah I like the uh, comparison that she drew sort of as being the barrier between the two worlds but the the real world and the magical world but I also go back to that chapter uh, when he's with Dumbledore and, and thinking about how he compares it to King's Cross and it also being 
the barrier between the world, in my opinion, the world of the living and the world of yeah. the dead. And there was such a religious connotation um, to the whole idea of King's Cross, I think, throughout the entire series. I agree. That's interesting. Kind of moving on from that, um, in the first book, In the Mirror of Erised, Harry sees himself, <clears throat> excuse me, I've got dry throat here, uh, surrounded by a loving family that is qu- Wait, and that's really how he finds himself in the epilogue of Deathly Hallows. And what I was kind of wondering was, does that mean that he would see himself exactly as he is in the mirror now? Or has he gone through too much trauma for that to be a possibility? Um, I'd say that it would depend on how much closure he's got on his previous life. If he still feels regret over what's happened, and if he still longs for, for his family then, I mean, obviously he will always long for his family back, his parents, but if he's accepted closure, then mm, then it's perhaps he would see himself as he is now, since he, you know, you can't, if you change history, you don't know what's going to happen, so if he, if he longed for his past life, then he wouldn't know if he'd have his children, or if they'd be the same as they are now, so I don't think someone like Harry would, well... I don't think he'd take the risk of wanting to wish for something in the past when he's happy now. And, uh, you know. Well, the impression that I got was that he was surrounded by his family because it was the one thing he'd never had. And then at the end of Deathly Hallows, we see him with that sort of family dynamic. And I think that he would see himself as he was because I think that's what he always wanted. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Would he see anything, though? I mean, essentially, he's achieved what his greatest desire was I mean if you take away the whole family aspect of it with his parents would hasn't he really achieved what he wanted more than anything else I mean he has a family now with Jenny he has his two best friends and Ron and Hermione I, I don't know if he would really see anything if he looked in the mirror yeah that's what we're saying like I think he's achieved yeah like D- Dumbledore said that the happiest man on earth would see himself exactly as he is but I think that's a flawed thing of Dumbledore because I don't think you can ever be perfectly happy. There's always going to be something more you want and stuff that happens changes you. So, you know, Harry's family, I'm sure, you know, it's an incredibly happy circumstance, but I doubt he's completely happy. There could always be one more thing. Like perhaps, perhaps, you know, he, perhaps he loves his uh, sort of son so much that he, he would be happy if, if his son wasn't worried about Slytherin. So there's always one more thing that could make him happier. Um, so I don't think, especially uh, someone like Harry. Do you really think the mirror goes that far, though? Well, like, I don't know. That's what I'm not sure about. If it can sense that type of subtlety, I, I don't. I don't think it really goes that far. I think it. I think it kind of goes into like fundamental things that you would expect people to want. Like, obviously, now we know that Dumbledore's, you know, was something a bit more important than wanting socks. Yeah. So I think that it really goes yeah, into well, the I think it really goes into the things that you want at the depth of your soul. Like for instance, Hermione at the time that um before the end of Deathly Hallows, she would have wanted to see herself in the mirror with Ron. Yes. So I think it's uh, sort of more of a human interest, not really like not really little things like oh, I wish that, you know, my son wasn't worried about this, or or I had washboard I, I, abdominal muscles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want that new broomstick. You know, yeah. I, I don't think it's like that. Yeah. I, I think it goes back to what Jamie said, though. How much closure he had on the issue, or on the image that he saw initially, because 
it would just seem to me that you, when Joe answered what Dumbledore would see if he looked in the mirror, she said that he would see himself perfectly happy with his family, you know, with his sister alive, with his mother alive, yeah. with his father alive. So, and no quarrel, quarreling going on between him and his brother. So, I I just don't know if Harry looked in there if he would see himself with his parents again. I think that he, especially in that scene in Deathly Hollows, you know, where he's walking into the forest, I think he put closure on that issue. Yeah, that is true. Mm-hmm. Very true. That is, yeah, that's good. It's um, very good. And also, there's a big difference between desire and happiness. Like, I mean, to see yourself with your family is not to see yourself as happy with your family. Do you know what I mean? Oh, that's, that's true. true. So, like, you know, uh, it's like a photo. He sees himself in the mirror of Erised as a photo, but photos can't reveal it that much emotion. So, really, what you're saying is there's three knives stuck into their backs, and you can't see yes, them because exactly, they're facing exactly. forward. God, Micah. <laughs> Micah, that could not have been more specific on what I was saying. <laughs> that is rather violent. Okay. Um, so, note to self, never take a picture with Micah. Yeah, you'll feel a sharp pain in your, uh, in your kidneys at some point. So, anyway, kind of moving on and still dealing with the family aspect, and this is just a little thing, but in the beginning of book one, Ginny was begging Mrs. Weasley if she could go to Hogwarts, whining about how she wants to go. And Mrs. Weasley kind of scolds her and says, you're too young. And then um, at the end of Deathly Hallows, li- little Lily Potter is begging um, Harry and Ginny if she can go to Hogwarts. And they both tell her that it'll be a couple of years. And I just thought that was kind of a cute little correlation. Like, Micah. Yeah. No, I think that's interesting. Yeah. Um... Now, Ginny be- is begging in the beginning, right, when they first get to King's Cross. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think there are little things like that that you can certainly make a comparison yeah. between. I don't think that, you know, it's something beyond the reach of Joe necessarily. I think that she's the type of person that would sort of draw those different parallels. Oh, yeah, I think uh, so, too. I, I think she definitely wrote that as kind of a kind of a way of bringing the whole story full circle you know harry's now at the train station with his family and he's seeing his kids off which is what he always wanted and he never had so he's able to give that to someone else so i think that's really good um and then kind of moving off of the whole family aspect um we see a lot of gringotts in books one and seven it's mentioned and we see it I, I believe they do go to Gringotts in Chamber of Secrets but it's not really described in any great detail but doesn't Grip Hook take go down with them both times it was yeah I believe it is yeah. Grip Hook that takes them down yeah in the first uh, book in, in the first book Harry and Haggard go down with him and then of course in Deathly Hollows, um, he's the one that sort of Sneaks them out. I'm not going to say that they yeah. went with permission. No, that's for but sure. I I found that idea interesting. Like I always liked the idea. We were kind of talking about you know before the book came out the idea that um, whenever Harry, Hagrid, and Griphook were going down, that Harry thought he saw a burst of flame, and we were thinking that could be a dragon, and then it turned out to be a dragon. So it was really cool. Um, so I think we've pretty much wrapped up all of the the little connections. Does anybody else have anything they want to say before we move on? Well, I just wanted to say, uh, kind of unrelated, but I thought The Thief's Downfall was one of the most awesome things I've ever read about in my life. Oh, God, yes. I thought it was oh. absolutely unbelievable. It was so cool. Um, I love how everything's awesome to you, Jamie. <laughs> well, no, no, no. It's just like extremely specific things. I mean, for example, yeah. the, the Thief's Downfall, the uh, the... 
dust figure of Dumbledore. Oh, that was uh, so cool. The genie in the Enchanted Globe. I think Joe writes these things. She has like a notepad and she has two two headings, normal and awesome, and those things are under the <laughs> awesome heading, seriously. <laughs> We'll have to, we should ask her about that if we ever, if we ever run into her. her, Like, I can just see it, like, everybody at, like, the reading in October (laughs) is going to be asking these, like, really difficult, convoluted questions, and then (laughs) Jamie just stands up, do you have a notepad in which you (laughs) label things normal and awesome? I would, I swear, (laughs) do that if I was there. They'd be like, do you think the character of Hermione has sort of, un underdeveloped in a sort of postmodern chic sense. How awesome was that, Jay? It would just be like that. <laughs> oh um, my gosh. I love you, Jamie. You too. Aw. So <laughs> see we all love each he, other. No, on he, this he show. didn't say he loved you. He said he loved himself as well. No, I said you too. Oh. Yes, I love Bono. Oh, he's so cool. Yeah, I was waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> Should we move on? Yeah. Um so we kind of had, and I love bringing up um, things about Snape because I love Snape, and I think Snape is just as Jamie would say, awesome. Awesome, yeah, he is. <laughs> He's awesome, so cool. as Jamie would ah, say, it, awesome. It's not awesome. awesome; it's awesome, awesome. So, in Sorcerer's Stone, you had Quirrell, who was sort of like our first bad guy, kind of. You know, it was he was more of a vessel, though. He wasn't. He was more evil in the fact that he allowed himself to be used for evil things because he was seeking power. Yeah. And you you see him, he's known as the man who had with two faces from yeah. the chapter title. And I thought it was interesting that book one sort of had this literal kind of use of a man with two faces. And then in book seven, we see Snape who has two faces in the sense that he, faces, was, yeah. <laughs> that he was on like both sides of the war. Actually, so, that, that's so, so interesting because... Harry thinks Snape is the one with two faces, first of all, and then Joe thinks it's Quirrell, but it's not Quirrell. It is actually Snape in, you know... Mm. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So Harry got it right, first of all. Um, I thought Quirrell was a disgusting character. I thought he was... I mean, there's no problem with being weak, but he was in a, a weak in a bad way. Weak because he needed power to sustain his uh, confidence and, you know, that kind of thing. I thought he was an awful character. Yeah. Oh, he um, was. And I just, I hated him because throughout the entire book, you kind of felt bad for him because everybody was kind of mean to him and he stuttered and he was really weak. Yeah. And then whenever Harry confronts him, he's like, he loses the stutter and he's automatically like this power hungry. Oh, exactly. He, he was an awful, awful character. Yeah. But then I guess you would be if you had thought him on yeah. the back of your head and and you couldn't sleep on your back because Voldemort would, <laughs> would suffocate, so you'd have to sleep on your side. So didn't pro- we have like didn't we have a debate about this a long time ago? Like I want to say it was like a year ago about like why would you choose to be on the back of someone's head? I had no idea. Like, <laughs> but like, but where you, else would you go? Like, you, that is quite true, actually. And but I don't know. I sort of where would you go, Jamie? I would probably go on their chest or something because. Actually, no, no, I wouldn't. I probably would go on the back of their head. But then, but then you can't see what he's seeing. So the arguments must be, you know, God, look at that. What? That. But then, but then as soon as one person turns around, the other person can't see it. So I, I imagine they argued a lot. Quirrell didn't get much sleep because 
he had to sleep only on his side. Um, I bet Voldemort snored as well. So I'm not surprised Quirrell's a bad person, actually. I forgive him. Do you? Well, what I don't get is why Quirrell didn't just, like, roll over and smother him in a pillow. Like That's what he should have done, shouldn't he? God, th- this whole problem would have been, like, completely... These people have solved. no, no oh my logical thought at all. It's disgusting. Yeah. Um, so, kind of going off of one thing that Jamie mentioned about Snape being evil, you know, Harry thinks that Snape is evil in both books, and then at the end, he finds out that he actually wasn't. That he was actually trying to help him. Which he doesn't find out about Quirrell, of course. Well, no, no, um, no I'm talking about Snape, though. Like... Just no, like at, no. at the end of Sorcerer's Stone, Harry finds out that Snape actually wasn't the bad guy, and then yeah. at the end of Deathly Hallows, he finds out that Snape didn't actually kill Dumbledore because Voldemort ordered him to. You know, he... yeah, and but... that he was in love with Lily. Oh, I do feel sorry for Snape. He is a oh my god! Hero. I was reading, I was rereading that whole thing where Snape, you know, he looked at Harry and he said, "Look at me," and I was just like, my heart, like it just, oh my god. It just, no, I, it just poured tugged, out to him. Oh yeah. my god, it was so horrible. The thing, so but the thing about the two faces thing, isn't it kind of ironic? Because doesn't Joe sort of teach us that everyone has not two faces in the traditional sense of of being nice in one regard and bad in the other? But she sort of says that everyone has skeletons in their closet. Some have bigger ones, some have more of them, but everyone is not, you know. A, typically who they are to everyone so people act differently in front of friends family people have bigger agendas that isn't to say that everyone isn't nice but absolutely you know no i completely agree with that though because you have people at work who just act like complete and utter idiots (laughs) snobs and they suck up to the boss and they act completely different around them than they would around any other normal people so i think that's you know, it's definitely an element in the Harry Potter series as well. I thought that maybe Harry should have gotten a clue that Snape wasn't yes, completely evil um, in book one when he saved his life. Yes, but yeah, that is very true. Seeing Dumbledore die in front of him, I could kind of understand why he might take a different... Uh, the thing that got me, though, it's quite a risk towards for Dumbledore to take, because... He knows that Harry is, although he's not the most powerful wizard, he is a very able person. Uh, and he could have, considering he can channel his anger and his love more so, um, he could have killed Snape inadvertently, accidentally, or on purpose. And that could have ruined the entire plans, because if he'd, if he'd killed Snape, having not known the the memory that Snape had to give him, the entire course of the book would have changed. And I doubt... Uh, his victory would have been the same. If yeah, that makes sense. I, I, oh my gosh, I was just, you know, I, I wondered that at the end of book six, like whenever Harry said, you know, if I run into Severus Snape, you know, so much the better for me, so much the worse yeah. for him. I was like, oh crap, he's gonna kill him, and then it's gonna turn out that he was actually good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, that would have been awesome, I think, but awful what? at the same time. See, Laura, I think it would have been just awful if Harry had killed the awful. one person that would have been save awful, the world. Not awesome. <laughs> no, I... See, I think that's interesting, though, because in the entire series, or, sorry, particularly in the seventh book, it seemed as if Harry was building up to cast the Avada Kedavra curse because, you know, there was the Imperius curse, yes, and then yeah. there was the Cruciatus curse on... Uh, I forget the Death Eater that was attacking um, McGonagall or being 
Electo being Sorry, cruel to McGonagall. Oh, wow. And you just thought, okay, this is building up. He's going to cast this curse at some point in the yeah. series, and then it never ends up happening. Yes. I like that he doesn't have to, though. But perhaps it's, you know, on purpose that he doesn't. Perhaps if you, I mean, the Cruciator's Curse and the Imperius Curse perhaps can be cast through the feelings of love, but, be, but perhaps, you know, killing someone, as, as it's been told th- throughout the entire books, it's a violation of of nature and however many times you cast the uh, Imperius or Cruciatus curse it won't ever split your soul in two it's only killing that does so perhaps Harry the point that even though he he has anger and he, he has love he can't bring himself to kill anyone using something like that no all he has to do is say Expelliarmus well exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> that solves everything absolutely everything it solves um, all my problems me too me too branching off of that going away from Snape and focusing on Dumbledore for a minute we kind of have a lot of am- ambiguity that we see in books one and seven about Dumbledore. Um, it actually in Sorcerer's Stone, if you guys remember, you don't see a whole lot of Dumbledore. Harry no, talks to don't. him on a on a couple of occasions. He talks to him um, at the Mirror of Erised, and then at the end. And I think that's pretty much it, isn't it? Like there really aren't any other instances, are there? But no, there aren't. Or if there are, they're very sparse. And yeah, very the, it, brief. And you just don't find out a whole lot about him, and you see Harry kind of curious, you know, like, um, there's one point... I think that was part of his plan, though. You, you know, Dumbledore mm-hmm. was not a stupid man, obviously, but his his plan spans seven books, if that makes sense. Yeah. So he couldn't have said in book one, oh, Harry, you have to die, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like everything was worked out, and he had to gain Harry's trust. I don't think it would have worked if they'd just been talking he had to be the mentor father figure to Harry for, for everything to work out because Harry effectively put blind faith in him and he'd have gone to the ends of the earth for Dumbledore had Dumbledore wanted to and I think he needed that um, for him to trust Snape's you know, memory because how did Harry not know that that memory, although I guess it's hard to fake a memory, a wizard as um, impressive as Snape and powerful as Snape could possibly have done that on Voldemort's order Orders, or perhaps there's dark magic that can do it. So there had to be serious trust for um, Harry to do anything that Dumbledore wanted, which I think was, which is characterized by their lack of contact, first of all, gradually building up to the crescendo. Yeah, I think so too. I really like seeing Dumbledore's plan come full circle. Because, you know, you look at the end of the first book where um, Dumbledore lies to Harry when Harry asks him why Snape saved him. And he said it was because he couldn't bear to be in debt to your father. And it was actually because he was saving him for Lily. Yeah. And I just, oh my God, it's so brilliant the way she set it up. Like, I hate to keep... It's awesome, Laura. I I hate to, like, you know, kiss the ground (laughs) that she walks on and sound like, you know, even though I do, but, uh, and sound like I'm just a complete (laughs) suck up here, but she's, oh my gosh, I just can't, like, I look at all these different parallels that she set up and everything that was set up from the very beginning, and it's so brilliant the way she did it. It is, it is brilliant the the way she planned everything. Um, Dumbledore is just... He's just such an interesting character, as he is the tragic hero as well. His life is characterized by, you know, um, sort of negativity and only trying to help others. But he's flawed in how he does it as well. It's such mm-hmm. – he really is a sad, sad character. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you go back and read book one, you don't really imagine that about him at all. Like, I mean – He's just awesome then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, he, he really is though. He's just yeah. – it's just everything – 
again, I think it's her showing us that people aren't who they seem, first of all, and can yeah. and have backgrounds and have and there are reasons why people do things. It's not you know, people don't do things illogically. There are there are reasons why people get upset at certain things because of their background or do certain things because of their background. Yeah. You, you know, she is her books are a are a wealth, a, a pool of lessons on life. And you know, everything has some type of lesson with it. I think personally, yeah, she really humanized Dumbledore. She she really did, yeah. And uh, I mean, she did not that she took away from who he came across as through the first six books because uh, he was this all-powerful wizard that we knew absolutely nothing about. It, it I don't know. In a way, it bothered me the way that she did that in book seven. Really? I don't know why. Well, it's it's kind of like you take the man that's been up on this pedestal for the entire series, and then you show that he's flawed. But Laura, not that there's there's anything wrong. That, with that's going, actually Micah. We, no, 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 no. But are we going to trust the opinion <laughs> of someone who hasn't even seen the oh, fifth right. film here? Yeah, how do you know that there's not something crucial in the fifth yeah, film, Micah? Absolutely, you don't essential know. to the plot of the movies, Micah, and the books, Talking and the books too. You exactly. don't, you don't know you that. Just don't know these things. Uh, but apart from that. <laughs> I mean, I I loved it. I love it when characters are humanized. Yeah. I thought it was brilliant, to be honest. Uh, I really thought that that was something that needed to be done for Dumbledore because he's not God or a God-like character. He is a human being. And I think that we started seeing his flaws in book five when he really messed up by not being more upfront with Harry. Yeah. And it caused so much turmoil. And I think that we really began seeing that he was not he was not some kind of supernatural being, exactly. despite how smart he is or how clever he is. He's were, got his own problems. It, exactly, and it's it was a turning point for for um, for Harry when he realised that Dumbledore was not invulnerable, because that that was a safety net for him the entire time. You know, when he thought that Dumbledore was there, there was nothing that, that could touch him really, anything. And even though he was worried about the entire war. It, there was Dumbledore, and Dumbledore came to save the day. And I think that was characterized in Order of the Phoenix, when even when the Order was fighting Dumbledore down in the Department of Mysteries, there was there was you know something was things could still go wrong and did go wrong. But as soon as Dumbledore came, Neville became more excited. Everyone just relaxed slightly because Dumbledore does save the day. And it was and it was so sad to see that that is not the case. And Dumbledore has worries and has and and he was terrified about the whole Harry Voldemort thing that things wouldn't work out, you know. Yeah, and you know, just kind of looking at this one quote here from Sorcerer's Stone, it comes after Harry asked Dumbledore what he saw in the mirror of Erised. It says it was only when he was back in in bed that it struck Harry that Dumbledore might not have been quite truthful. Exactly. But then he thought, as he shoved Scabbers off his pillow, it had been quite a personal question. Exactly. And so sorry. Go just all oh, just knowing that at that point Dumbledore was act. It was actually such a dark thing that he was seeing in the mirror that, it, exactly, you know, yeah. it was like his family that he wanted, his sister that we're not really sure who actually killed her. It might have been Dumbledore. I exactly. Mean, yeah. And just knowing that he had been friends with Grindelwald and that he had actually been for the, you know, I, I don't want to say persecution, but he was definitely of the opinion that wizards were higher than muggles at one point in he time. was yeah and he was yeah just knowing all that about him you know but 
Sorry, you, you, you see all these conspiracy stories about like public officials and stuff, you know, look at what they did when they were young and yeah. everybody sort of holds that against them. And you wonder how he has gone the whole series without anybody finding having that yeah. information and finding out about him. He must have been terrified yeah, that someone would find out about that. But also, she, I think she, she was showing two things doing that. She was showing that... Uh, people cannot be blamed for their situational background. So, you know, you think if if we'd been in the same situation, if our sister had been attacked by, you know, muggles uh, and we hadn't seen any further attacks from wizards on muggles in that time, you know, perhaps we also would have some sense of, you know, um, sort of um, persecution attached to them because they've ruined tore our family apart but then she also shows that people can change and that it's our choices harry you know that uh that make us who we are so she's she's giving two lessons in dumbledore dumbledore is a heap of lessons actually laura um <laughs> a dead heap of lessons but a heap of lessons nonetheless <laughs> dumbledore is a dead heap of lessons let's make that the title yeah of this there episode. you go Laura, but this actually nice. goes back to what you were saying before on the whole book coming from harry's perspective he was never around anybody to hear differently. You know, nobody's going to tell that story to Harry about Dumbledore based on the people that he interacts with. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I know. I'm not... This is what Jamie was talking about as far as, you know, us never really um, hearing about it through seven entire books. Well, part of the reason is that it's from Harry's perspective and Harry never interacts with the people that we would expect to say anything negative about Dumbledore. Well, what something that what I was kind of referring to was the idea that especially whenever the Daily Prophet was out trying to dig up everything they could on Dumbledore, it's somewhat surprising that you didn't really hear about his anything that he did when he was younger. Like you would think that that would be the sort of thing that they were out to try and find on him. Yeah, definitely. Because it was like a politician's, you know, ruining it, saying, you know, completely undermining the person, undermining their their sort of uh, beliefs and opinions to completely undermine their opinions on the current situation, if that makes sense. I'm surprised they didn't as well. Uh, but perhaps they thought even that was beneath them, but not Rita Skeeter. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, uh, no. I think it was because Joe decided to be better in book seven. You know, yeah, guys? probably. I mean, yeah, that is true. She, she said to Fudge, "Look, okay, I'm planning it for book seven. <laughs> Do not put it in the Daily Prophet now because it won't be fair." And, and then he said, "Oh, but Joe." And then she was like, "Look, I'll buy you a new hat." And then he gave in, <laughs> or I'll kill you. Yeah, or I'll kill you. <laughs> One of the two. Uh, um, okay, nice. should we move on? Yeah. And then the last thing that we kind of have on our list here is the idea of anchors to life that you see as a huge theme in these two books. We definitely know throughout the whole series Voldemort wants to be immortal, but you really see the largest presence of them in books one and seven, because with book one you have the idea of the philosophers or the Sorcerer's Stone, the elixir of life, which Voldemort is trying to get. And then in book seven you have the Horcruxes and the destruction of them. And we really find out a lot about the Horcruxes in book seven. I mean, we we discover their presence in book six, but we really delve deep into what they are in book yeah. seven. Um, one of the really striking images that I'm kind of reminded of by this whole idea is um, in book one when Harry's in the forest and he finds the dead unicorn. Yeah. And it's like Voldemort has killed like a, a very pure symbol of life. 
Yeah. And it's just, it's such a striking visual. Like you never really, and they even did that very well in the movie. Like the way they set that whole scene up. It was really quite well done. Do you guys remember it? Yes, I do. I, I also thought it was awesome uh, Mm -hmm. for those reasons. And also because it just showed that innocence, you know, is not completely protected from evil. And, uh, and that was sort of, even though the books got progressively darker and there were other turning points, that was a kind of, you know, no one's safe. This person is an absolute psychopath. He will do everything he can. (laughs) And it also established that he, you know, death was his greatest fear. Yeah, definitely. And also, the whole anchors to life thing is, again, another thing from Joe that that says, you know, you need to live in the present. You mustn't try and, you know, attain immortality because you'll forget how to live now. And you shouldn't be scared of death and all that kind of thing. Again, it's another lesson. Yeah, I mean, look at Voldemort, who he spent his whole life trying to avoid death so that by the time it came, he never actually achieved anything. Exactly, yeah. What were you going to say, Micah? uh, I was just going to say I like the whole comparison as well to, you know, in book one, Harry is in a race against Voldemort, really, because he thinks he's trying, well, Snape and later Voldemort, to get to the Sorcerer's Stone, and Harry's sort of in a race against time with him. And same thing, really, in book seven. He's in a race to destroy the Horcruxes before Voldemort gets there as well. And starts yeah, to realize. Yeah, I didn't yeah. think of that. That's very good. That is interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. I, but the, also, the entire Horcruxes, Hallows thing was just, you know, even though Harry was like Horcruxes versus Hallows, both were evil in yeah. in essence, you know, because both were trying to prolong something that shouldn't be prolonged. You know, yeah. so like the Horcruxes were saying, you shouldn't tear your earthly soul apart to try and prolong your life indefinitely the hallows were like uh the the stone was was like you know you shouldn't you shouldn't try and bring people back when they've moved on you need closure uh the wand was that you shouldn't you know um ask for power because it comes with responsibility and if you can't handle that then you shouldn't be trying to get in in the first place which is what dumbledore realizes and the cloak i felt was that you shouldn't hide yourself uh and you should act for who you are and you shouldn't try and I mean, obviously, that cloak, you know, Harry needed it. And he, if he didn't have it, he he probably would have been dead eight pages into book one. But again, (laughs) it teaches a valuable lesson, I thought. Yeah, I I, I never really thought of it that way, Jamie. I really like that. Um... (laughs) Thank you, Laura. (laughs) It's awesome. Awesome. (laughs) All right. Does anybody else have any other thoughts on that? I shared my thoughts already. Okay. Okay. Well, should we move on to yep. a dueling club this week? Now, <laughs> I got an email um, a while ago that said Harry Potter could kick Optimus's primes and then an expletive. Oh, uh, wow. What do you think about that? Har- Harry Potter and Optimus Prime? Hmm. Well, I just saw Transformers for the first time the other night. Um <sighs> Oh, you mean you didn't see it in theater? <laughs> well, seeing as I don't participate on a podcast about Transformers, no. Touche. Um, I would say that Prime's biggest uh, weakness is that you can just jam something into his <laughs> chest and he dies. Like, I mean, that is I mean, quite a weakness. I, I mean, just seeing as Harry managed to like 
stab a sword through a basilisk's head, I think that he could take like that cube of power and just jam it into Prime's chest and he'd be done for. That is true. But like, I just, I mean, Harry's magic, I don't think is that advanced really. I mean, if we... Okay, Shia LaBeouf did it. Yes, that is true. However, <laughs> he was an actor in that film, Laura, and he was supposed to do do that. Oh, wait. Or did he actually kill Optimus no, Prime? No, no, no. He killed the other guy, but he could wow. have killed Optimus Prime. See, I think if it was Voldemort or Dumbledore against Optimus Prime, we wouldn't even be talking about it because it would be obvious. Or Snape as well. Or Chuck but, Norris. Uh, oh, well, Laura, <laughs> if you try and think about that, you will suffer it roundhouse kick related death it's not even worth it trust me you've been telling me this for two weeks and i have yet to suffer that Uh, do you know why that is because you've been expecting it the minute the minute you go into sort of self you know uh comfort zones then you might as well just give up you might as well roundhouse kick yourself because you're going to save yourself a lot of pain and anger uh because chuck chuck doesn't understand pain and anger he just uh, he just understands death twice um so harry and optimus prime michael what do you think uh we're talking about harry at the end of book seven before the epilogue or post epilogue Uh, post um, last chapter both Uh, oh boy i hate the dueling club so does optimus get a wand Oh well, he doesn't have blood running through his veins, and you've got to have yeah. m- magical blood. And he'd probably just eat it or something, or <laughs> snap it. I don't, I don't know if he could wield. Yeah, blood. I don't think he has a wand. Um, what if Harry maybe conjured a Patronus? Do you think that would scare him off? No, oh. probably eat, not. No, I, I think that... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he'd be hungry. Uh, what? Okay. What about? What about? The Terminator and and Harry. Oh, forget it. Hasta la vista, Harry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, Harry would try and, you know, and be like, but I've lived a a great life, you know, expelliarmus, 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 (laughs) and and he'd just be like, he'd just grab him by the throat and be, you know, I am not amused. And then you just strangle him or something, and then Harry Potter would be no more. So Harry Potter should not pick a fight with Arnold Schwarzenegger. There would not be a chance in a million years. However, Dumbledore versus uh, the, um, the Terminator, I think Dumbledore would succeed in making him cry because he isn't a human, and then he'd sort of trick him and strangle him or something. Oh my gosh. Wow, that's deep, Jamie. Thank you. Okay, now we're going to do a couple of make the connections. We only have two this week since we are only three. Uh, Laura, yours is you have to make a connection between Harry Potter and buying a 250 gigabyte external hard drive, bringing it home, plugging it in, and finding out it doesn't work. Okay. Um, gosh. I guess that would sort of be along the lines of people who went out and bought their 800 page copies of book seven and had pages upside down and pages that were missing because then they couldn't get the full use of it yes yes that's not bad at all not bad at all that was very good laura and i liked it because it was done on sort of theoretical stuff see i think you can either do it on 
specific stuff so harry potter or hermione or snape or something like that or you can do it on sort of the harry potter book series as a whole and i like that since it linked the entire series with um with buying a hard disk and finding out that it doesn't work okay micah yours is this is this is quite a tough one harry potter and buying a horse blinking and finding out it's turned into a bottle of arizona iced tea wow is a specific flavor um well i think that's up to you you're the master of this universe sir while mike is thinking about that um (laughs) there's a story I i wanted to tell this is a story i want to tell i went to the zoo a couple of weeks ago right and uh i was with a few friends and this is a big zoo so we were going around and we came to the part where you can feed the animals so we bought a couple of packs of you know food things and we saw a a shire horse which was so cute we went past some pigs past some sheep fed them and then we came to the emu enclosure but they had misspelled emu and instead of saying emu it said emo so (laughs) are you serious yes absolutely 100% serious so I was expecting it to sit in the corner and be listening to panic you know with like a black (laughs) t-shirt on and its hair was right over its eyes and it was going woe is me I can't believe I'm an emo but that didn't happen but yes it actually said emo I could not believe it oh that's brilliant um, I might go back and see if it's still alive or if it's killed itself out of sheer emotional <laughs> distress or something like that. I wonder if it has a MySpace. I should have asked it. Uh, Micah, any progress on the Arizona iced tea? No, not really. Uh, try and get me to the end of the show. Let's see if I can. Okay, guys, that brings us to the end of MuggleCast episode 114. We are just about to hear Micah's uh, answer to his Make the Connection. But before we do that... If you would like to phone in and you're in the US, please call one two one eight twenty magic If you're in the UK, 0208144 If you're in Australia, 0280035668. Or you can Skype the username MuggleCast. Please eliminate as much background noise as possible and keep your message under... 30 seconds. Please also vote for us on Podcast Alley. We have so many community outlets. We've got Flickr, MySpace, Photo Bucket, YouTube, uh, Facebook, all of these. Please come in and join our groups and vote for us in every single place you can. Thank you very much. And Micah, let's go to your Make the Connection. Right. So did you just want to repeat it for everyone so they know what I'm... Yes, I will. Uh, Micah, your connection was between Harry Potter and buying a horse, blinking, and then it's turned into a bottle of Arizona iced tea flavor of your choice. Well, first of all, that's like purchasing an animal, right? And then it becoming an inanimate object, correct? You could view it that way. So, just like what you're saying with the horse and the iced tea, it's the same thing with Harry when he buys Hedwig, and then in book seven he blinks, (laughs) and it becomes an inanimate (laughs) object. Micah, that is superb. (laughs) That is absolutely superb. I'm very, very, very impressed. Excellent stuff. Um, Hope everyone isn't too (gasps) gasping at that final thing by Micah. Uh, That is the best to make the connection I think I have ever heard. I take my hat off to you, Micah, if I was wearing one. On that note, I'm Jamie Lawrence. I'm Laura Thompson. And I'm Micah Turner. And I'm Andrew Simpson. Whoa, I've come back for the end of the show. (laughs) It's come see everyone. Guys, we'll see you later. Bye-bye.
G'day Aussies! That's right, calling all Australian MuggleCast listeners. Yes, that's right, we mean you. It's Eric here, and I'm here to announce something supremely preliminary and not yet official. I had an idea for an event that might be taking place in Melbourne or Sydney, Australia, the weekend of the 12th of October, 2007. Either that Friday or Saturday night, I was just had an idea to do something, possibly, because I might be in the area. I don't know where this event is being held. I don't know what the event will actually be. Suffice to say, I will be the only MuggleCaster in attendance. It certainly won't be a full panel live podcast, but it is, however, something specifically Australian that would play to all of our MuggleCast fans in the area. Could be a question and answer session. Could be something else entirely. Just a fan meetup. We don't know. But this message is important because I'm trying to find out how many of you Australian listeners could possibly or potentially make it to the event. This is extremely short notice, as the 12th of October is only three weeks away. Therefore, what we need from you is for you to send an email to us, letting us know what you might be able to make it. The address is mugglecastoz at gmail.com. That's M-U-G-G-L-E-C-A-S-T-O-Z, O-Z, Oz, O-Z. Okay, so MuggleCastOz at gmail.com. Once again, MuggleCastOz at gmail.com. MuggleCast and then O-Z. Okay? All we need to know is if you would potentially be free on the weekend of the 12th of October. Could be that Friday or Saturday. I'm not sure yet. But if you would be available uh, that weekend to come to Melbourne or Sydney and chill with MuggleCast fans. Once we know how many people can make it, and if some can, we're going to try to set something up. Uh, There can be no guarantee yet, but there will be soon. We're all moving quite fast to make this event very planned. Also, please make a point to check MuggleCast.com for all updates. There is likely to be an update during the following week. Thank you very much, everybody. Cheers. Um, Okay, so... Um, I have to go for a piss very quickly. Do you want to carry on, and I'll just catch up, okay? Okay, yeah, that's fine. So... (laughs) Can we leave that in? Yeah, I think we should. Um, 